Well, good morning, and uh, it is good to see you all, and it is a beautiful day. And if you have your Bibles, just keep them open at the passage that Matthew read. Just a few things to start with. We, we have words that we bandy around, um, and sometimes we have to stop and think, well, what does it mean? We think, yeah, I think I know what that is. Well, what about theology? You know, theology. Well, theology is the study of the nature of God. It's what we learn from the Bible. So when you think, oh, it's a theological theology, that's what it's about. It's about what we learn from the Bible. Another word is doxology. That's a word for you, isn't it? All that means is it's how we worship God. That's what doxology means. Doctrine. Sounds a bit, I sometimes get them mixed up. I've been twice, you know, doxology, doctrine. All the doctrine is, is it's what we actually believe. It is a statement of faith. And for a Christian, each one of those three things calls for action. Yeah? So theology calls for action. Doxology calls for action. Doctrine calls for action. Learning, liturgy, and living. I chose those three words starting with the letter L. You might say, well, what's liturgy? <laughs> liturgy is worship, it's singing. If it's liturgical, we're rejoicing, we're singing. So there are three things that we have. All those three things demand action from a Christian. And they're all here in God's Word. And the hymns, now here's the thing, I don't know if you've noticed, the hymns actually fit with the passage. And if you make a note of those two numbers, maybe, you know, a bit later or look them up on Google or, or go home uh, and, you know, if you've got a hymn book, read through the words after you've heard what's been said from God's Word this morning and you go, oh yeah, I see the relevance of that. And then you'll come to the, oh yeah, I see the relevance of that. It's good to do that. Good to do that because we're learning from that. We're also rejoicing with that. This morning, um, I want us really to look at verse 1 through to 17 of chapter 3. And the title I've put over it is Doctrine in Action. But you all know now what doctrine is, don't you? Do you? I hope you do, because I've just said it. It's what we believe. It's putting what we believe in action. And we're just going to look at that as we go through. And as you go through this passage, you will see the other two things. The theology and the doxology. They're in here. They're all in this passage. And this morning, I just want to really uh, focus on doctrine in action. Uh, and my intention this morning is not to show any political bias. But it is to draw your attention to the fact that in relation to what we might call religion, the state and society in general <coughs> seem to be intent on marginalising Christianity in an attempt to change it so that it will suit society. That's something that's happening now. It's actually been happening from way back when Paul wrote this letter. 
marginalize. There's another word, we've got to go, what that means. Marginalize means to treat as insignificant, push it to one side. In other words, in the subject of Christianity, what it means is to remove it from a public space. We see that every day here in our country. But just remind us, I, I want us to listen to what Jesus said in his day when he accused the so-called religious leaders of living lives that were contrary to what they said they believed, contrary to what they should have been believing. And you can read that in Matthew, just one verse, Matthew 23, verse 27. Woe to you, teachers. It's a good, strong phrase. They knew what was coming. They knew what he understood. You'll see that word woe quite a bit when you come through Scripture, and it should pull you up short. Woe! Yeah? It doesn't just mean slow down. It doesn't just mean stop. It means woe. Pull back those horses. Yeah? This is what he said. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the Lord, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of dead and everything unclean. That's a graphic illustration in so few words. And they knew what he meant. <laughs> They knew exactly what he was saying. Their faith had become a belief in, in nothing more than tradition. No matter how hard they tried to dress it up, it remained meaningless in the eyes of God. In Paul's day, many of the Jews uh, either dismissed Jesus <coughs> or downgraded him to being nothing more than an additional element to the traditional way of worship, bringing them more in line with pagan religions. Have things changed since the days of Paul? I don't think they have. I think we're still living in this, well, we are, we're living in the same days that Paul lived in. The Christian church and Christian individuals face the same problems that Paul is writing about in his letters. Pagan religions more a matter of duty, not a matter of morality. Worship consisted of going through the motions, submitting to the idol, you place your offering on the altar, and then you continue living the sinful life that you live for the rest of the week. Some even temples in Paul's day even practiced immorality as part of their worship. You can see that in the Bible, you can see that in, in history, world history. Probably see it today. What Paul is about to say concerning the Christian lifestyle would be alien to those living in his day. No more than there in Colossae. Colossae, a Gentile city with a strong Roman influence, a large Jewish presence, and an influx of many religious ideas coming from the East on the trade routes. And one of their temples was dedicated to angel worship. 
the believers in the church of Colossae were coming under pressure. Pressure from both outside and inside their church. Influences that had come from these things, this way of life, from the society that they were living in. That's what happens to us, you know. Society has a big influence on us, whether we like it or not. I if that sounds familiar, you know. Now, I quite often quote J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle was the first bishop of Liverpool. He lived from 1816 to 1900. And he great, some of his commentaries are great, really good. And his books, and one of his books that he wrote at the time, was a challenge to the Anglican Church. And in that book, he points out all the things that they should be doing and pointed out the direction that they seem to be going in away from them and then saying if you carry on in that direction this is where you will end up and that was way back he lived as i said 1860 and 1900 and all those things that he warned the church about are now either here today or still on the way today Ryle said was, if you don't stick to God's word, and if you don't hold to those truths, then you're going to go in this direction, and at the end, this will happen. This is what Paul was saying to the church at Colossae. The church listened to J.C. Uriah. I'll leave you to make your mind up on that. You know, there's so many things which are quite okay to be doing but things that come into our daily lives and put pressure on our walk with God things that threaten us physically, mentally and spiritually these can be everyday things that are okay but they can get out of hand in Colossians chapter 2 Paul has reminded us and we've been looking through this letter Paul has reminded his readers about the truth of what they have in Christ as he warns them about those who would corrupt the gospel for their own purposes. Just listen to these few verses that we've looked at before in more detail. Colossians chapter 2 verse 4, he said, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And he goes on in that same chapter 2 in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. That, the, the, you know, the, these words are so applicable to, to us today, the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? That's what he says here. And then finally from chapter 2, verse 20, since you died with Christ to the eternal spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Now, he's not saying break the law. He's talking about <coughs> rules which are against Christianity, against the Bible, and against Christian style of living. So, from 
that passage we read that Matthew read to us, chapter 3. Let's just look at verse 1 through to 4. And the question I put in here is where your heart is. Now, in these verses, we're going to consider that. Where your heart is. In the following words, Paul will encourage the faithful in Colossae to remain faithful in the gospel. Most of them are already faithful. But they need to remain faithful. Verse 1, 3 to 4. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. First of all, the heart. It's said that the heart is the seat of our affections. We, we exercise that in the phrase we might use, I give you my heart. Yeah? You know what? I usually say it on Valentine's Day because I use that phrase. When you say, I give you my heart, you're not going to, you know, rip out your heart and say, yeah. It's about the, 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 the seat of your um, affections. And the heart is the font of our desires. How do we express that in the phrase that we use all the time? That the heart is the seat of your desires. And we say, talking about a thing, you know, oh, I've set my heart on that. We do, don't we? You know, now, it, it was a really good holiday. Was it really that good? Yeah, yeah. Oh, now I've heard that, I've set my heart on that, we're going to go. You know, it's your desire. This is the heart. And when God looks at the heart in its natural state, what does he see? Well, he tells us. Tells us in Jeremiah 17, verse 1. <clears throat> it says, The heart in its natural state is deceitful above all things. And it is. Because that's how we are. That's how our human nature is. We are deceitful. We hide things. We tell lies. We cover things up. We try to get away with things. That's our natural nature. And we're all like that. Every one of us. Paul said to them, you are raised with Christ. This is to be dead to sin, but not just dead to sin, but to be alive in Christ. Forget that. No, it's not just you're dead to sin. The important thing is you are now alive in Christ. And not only does this bring a change of heart, it brings a change of mind. That's what Paul's telling us. Going from the heart now, it's coming to the mind. And in Christ, it brings a change of mind. If you go to Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, when Paul wrote to them, this is what he said to the church of Corinth, and he's saying the same thing to the church of Colossae, but using different words, same theme. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Yeah, the old has gone. But the news here. The words of Jesus when he spoke in 
These are recorded for us by both Matthew and Luke. It's Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 12. And they said this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The words of Jesus recorded by Matthew and Luke. And that's so true, isn't it? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Go. Corinthians 3, the passage we're in, verse 5 to 11. Based on what he's been saying in his letter so far, Paul goes on to speak to them. And in verse 5, he says this Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Not just first. Three words. Put to death. He's not messing about here. He's, he's getting right to the point. This is strong language again. This is a, a no-nonsense piece of advice. Put it to death. Kill the desire. And not only that, don't harbor any thoughts. Remove them from your mind. See? There's the mind. Kill the desire and remove the thoughts from your mind. Just stop for a moment. Think about this. In the eyes of the world, when other people do these things that we just had listed for us by Paul, they're considered to be wrong. Yeah. The world considers them to be wrong. And we would go along with that. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, that's wrong as well. Oh, look what this is in the paper. Hold that on the news there. Oh, that's, oh, that's wrong. It's wrong until the ones who are doing it is you and I. No. Might be a little thing. And you say, oh, that's not right. And then later down the line, you think, and then we go down that same road. And you know what happens? Your mind and your heart starts to justify it and makes it right for you in your mind and your heart. When we've already said, oh, shouldn't be doing that, but when we want to do it, what encourages us to do it? Our mind. King David, 2 Samuel 11, the situation with Bathsheba, oh, what he was about to do prior to doing it, if anybody else would have done it, he would have said, oh, that's wrong. But what did he do? He saw, he wanted, and he took. And his heart and his mind said, it's okay for me. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done it. See it? It's okay for others to do these things. But if I want to do it, well, it's okay for others not to be doing these things. But if I want to do it, 
I will find a way to make it okay and live if I let my heart and my mind dictate it. So why should Christians avoid these things that Paul has just mentioned? Well, verse 6 through to 7 tells us. Because of these, yeah, you know what he's just mentioned. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's why creation is condemned. The wrath of God. Because of these things that are in the lives of everyone. Our natural heart and our natural mind. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. See, as a sinner, I guess we all fall short of the glory of God. That's the words of Paul from Romans. In our natural state, we all fall short of the glory of God. And he's saying to these people, look, you're not in your natural state now. Don't let these things affect you. Don't let them come in to your life. Because now you've been forgiven. You're set free from the condemnation of God's wrath. So why would you even want to go back to that old way of life? And Paul will now turn towards other things that really of themselves are, you know, the, the part of our nature. But they're more to do with emotions rather than actions, but they do develop into actions. Yeah, and emotions can get out of hand. They can have a negative effect, not only on us as an individual, but other people around us. Verse 8. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger. Rage. Malice. Slander and filthy language from your lips. What is this about? This is about our emotions. This is about self-control. This is about giving control to God and not keeping hold of self or not letting self-control go. Verse 9 and 10. Do not lie to each other, since you've been taken off your old self with its practices. And you've put on the new life, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. This is all about being honest with yourself, being honest with others, and being true to God. Verse 11. Here there's Gentile. Here. Here is no Gentile or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. He's bringing them back to Christ all the time. And this is about humility. Paul is telling them and us what we should not do and why we should not do it. Then he shows us the benefits of doing what we should be doing. <coughs> Let's go on to Colossians 3 verse 12 through to 14 and, and uh, I've put a title on this um, the importance of the main ingredient. Now all of you who do any cooking or baking 
You will know the importance of not including the main ingredients. And that is probably a fault of mine if I try to cook anything. And uh, it'll be, this doesn't taste right. Did you put sausage on or did it? Any ingredient was missing, and we know the results. And what does Paul say here, verse uh, 12 through to 14? Therefore, now referring back to everything he said already, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Any ingredients. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect humility, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These things lead to having the ability to forgive and for people to live in unity together. A while ago, when through Paul's letter to Galatians, and in that he refers to the, the fruit of the Spirit, he says in chapter 5, verse 22 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things there is no law. Now, when we look at that passage, we pointed out the fact that this is talking about singular, the fruit of the Spirit. All these things are contained within the fruit of the Spirit. And we are given the fruit of the Spirit, so we are given all these things. And these are the things that we should apply to our lives. When we come to Corinthians 12, where we read about the gifts of the Spirit, it's slightly different because the gifts of the Spirit are gifts given to us and we might have, and we will have, and often do have, individual gifts. None of us will have all the gifts of the, the Spirit, because they are gifts given, and they are talents that we use. But the fruit of the Spirit is the way we live, the same fruit. It's all in that grape. You know what I mean? You don't need, you're not given different types of fruit, you're given the grape. Where's the grape from? It's from the vine. Yeah. And those Fruits of the Spirit are what we are to have in our lives as Christians. Real love is the thing that binds us together. Uh, remember the hymn by Bob Gilman, who wrote in Tim Mission Prayer, chapter 54. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together. Cause that cannot be broken. Bind us together. Lord, bind us together, bind us together in love. As we go to the close, um, I just want to refer to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 13. You, you'll know this, this passage well. Uh, and I'm just going to sort of refer to a, a few things here. And as we read them, maybe we can, in the light of what we heard Paul say to the Colossians, what we heard God say to us through Paul's letter to the Colossians, that we can think about ourselves and how we fit into these things. And this is about um, verse 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians uh, 
seen. And I've just put a little heading on with you. Having the ability but lacking the love. And Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can, uh, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Yeah. No ability to do these things, as God wants us to do them, if we don't have love. Verse 4 and 5, and um, verse 3. Giving, but lacking in love. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Verse 4 to 5, the attributes of love. Love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it is not proud, it doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Verse 6, the first part of verse 8, the reality of love. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And then verse 9 through to 10, things fail in the absence of love. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Verse 11 and 12. Maturity. When I was a child, I took like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away child things behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. When we shall see face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And then finally, verse 13, the importance of love. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Just for the final few minutes. With these thoughts in mind, let's go to our chapter in Colossians chapter 3 and we'll just read verse 15 and 17. And this is the joy of fellowship. When these things come together, when these things are, are, are put in action, because I said that you know theology, doxology, doctrine, they all require action. And these things require action. So in verse 15 through to 17. Let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be faithful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs, from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. All these things in those few verses we've looked at this morning, telling us how, if we are a Christian, how we should live as a Christian. Let's pray. Father, I just 
ask you to bless upon us now as we consider these things and, and we ask that they might be an encouragement to us and maybe even a challenge to us so Father we just thank you again for the words of Paul which are your words for us this morning 